Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. Welcome to another episode of Startup Dads, or actually this week, Startup Mums. I'm delighted to welcome Claire Cockerton on the show. Claire, can you introduce yourself and tell us what makes you a startup mum? Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm really delighted to be here. I am a startup mom because I am a mom of a four-year-old and I've also been an entrepreneur my entire life. So Claire, learning about you, reading about your background, you've worked in the innovation space for a really long time. You've developed multiple innovation platforms. Can you tell us a little bit about how this happened? So how do you build a career in innovation? How do you end up becoming an innovation specialist? Well, I think it starts where I grew up. I grew up on a big 90-acre farm in Canada, north of Toronto, with a lot of space and a lot of time and not a lot of external stimulation or lots of toys. So I had to come up with different projects and different things to do. And I think that's where I developed a sense of independence and imagination and the realization that I'm quite responsible for the outcome of my life. I think that's where I cultivated my entrepreneurial spirit. And when I was educated in Toronto, so in my first year university, I set up a landscaping company. I loved spending time outdoors, of course, having grown up in the country. And so I started a company called Aesthetic Earthworks. And that company helped me pay my way through university. And eventually I sold it in 2009. That was my first foray into the entrepreneurial world. And it was a really interesting one because it was the construction industry, totally dominated by older men. And I was a 20-something young woman trying to make her way in this arena. So there were lots of lessons learned about gender differences and, and industry dynamics, and also the power of being an underdog and a newcomer in a very old and traditional industry. And I came over to the UK to do an MBA at Imperial College because that was the one thing I really struggled with while I was running a company. I said, I don't really have a business background. You know, I love doing the work that I do and I love working with clients and I love building a team, but I, I just felt underprepared from a business standpoint. And so I said, I need to formalize this education. I need an MBA. That's what I need to do. And so I got into Imperial College and I uh, spent my year studying innovation and entrepreneurship and how we help the entrepreneurial process. Because for me, I have always admired entrepreneurs. I've always admired people who forge their own paths and observe problems in life and have the gumption and energy to try to come up with solutions. And I think that's one of the most heroic processes possible. And so I wanted to figure out how do I support entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial process? And in particular, how do we support it in using the technological revolution? And how do we support it in industries that are really old and are difficult to change? like financial services, like highly regulated industries like healthcare. And so since then, since 2010, I've been setting up innovation centers 
setting them up here in London, Level 39 of FinTech Accelerator in Canary Wharf, Plexel on the Olympic Park, Lorca Cybersecurity Innovation Center. And so I've been really interested in how do you create the right kind of physical infrastructure, the business support services, the accelerator programs, and the curated community to support innovations into the marketplace. And of course, with every industry, that kind of cocktail, the recipe is slightly different, but it's something I'm incredibly passionate about. Amazing. So Claire, I'm going to go immediately off piste. Really interested to ask you about innovation and you talked a little bit about that. But something that immediately sticks out to me is that you are one of the very few entrepreneurs I know who started, you effectively did the kind of school of hard knocks way of entrepreneurship and then went into doing an MBA afterwards. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because you don't hear about that very often. You often hear about people doing MBAs and then jumping in to the startup world. Can you talk to me about your perspective on learning on the job versus learning at school? I think it prepared me incredibly well and I wouldn't counsel any young people away from it because I think it really shapes you as an individual. It builds resilience it's amazing how much information that I absorbed, how much knowledge I absorbed about businesses and how they function and the nuance around it, the soft skills that are required that you just don't learn in an MBA. I ran a company, I set it up, I grew, I sold it. And then I went to do an MBA and the MBA, what it helped me do is it helped me give language to what I already knew. And it helped me with how do you source financing at scale. And I learned more about the capital markets. I learned more about that kind of stuff. But I didn't learn the the more nuanced requirements of running a company around personal leadership, building a team, um, how you really differentiate your service, designing a customer experience, the qualities of branding, quality control, how to have difficult conversations, how to fire somebody, how to beg for resources you aren't able to pay for. All that stuff, it's really critical. That's not part of the curriculum. No, for sure. And you're right. You can't learn those. What a great list you've given. I think for any budding entrepreneur, they should write that list down because there are lots of things that you can't learn in books that you've outlined there. So I suppose just following that thread a little bit, how do you feel about the role of startup education versus startup learning on the job, you know, for your children, you know, if they went down that route? Well, I think entrepreneurial skills are absolutely critical for young people now. We're not going to have a traditional career path where you're educated in one sphere and that's that's going to carry you through 40, 50, 60 years, however long our children will live. And so I think we need to learn how to adapt, how to change, how to see opportunity and create a proposition. Now, whether you're working for a large organization, you are still yourself a business. And so I want my daughter to think about herself as an asset and how do I position myself? How do I market myself? What are my real USPs? How do I ask for the money that I deserve? All those kind of things I think she needs to embody and whether she decides to work for somebody else or in partnership or to start her own company, I think those are absolutely critical skills. And we've learned over the last year and a half that even if you're in a stable job, nothing is stable. Everything is going to be shifting and we need to have entrepreneurial skills and the resilience to adapt to change in order to survive. I also think that it's a much more fulfilling existence that experiments with lots of different spheres, lots of different passions and interests. And I think to have the confidence to jump from one project to another, to a side hustle, back to a corporate, I'm going to make a bit of money now, and then I'm going to follow this passion. I think that's critically 
important to to happiness. I hope I can impart that on my daughter. You've actually answered the question, has your career influenced your parenting, I think, a little bit, which I was about to ask you. So I don't know whether you've got any other thoughts on that. My daughter, Evie, she's 18 months old now, so it's a little bit early for me to be putting the startup curriculum on her. Do you ever reflect on how, you know, the way you think about parenting has changed, having done the journey that you've been on? A lot. I mean, one of the big things is around encouraging my daughter to understand that she can do hard and difficult things and that things that are hard and difficult are just part of life and that she may feel unprepared. She might not know how to tie her shoe yet, but that's okay because she's going to work at it. She might need to ask some questions, ask for some help, but you can do hard things. And so that when she gets those feelings of this is difficult, she's building that internal sense of confidence that I can overcome it. I think also developing an internal locus of control is critically important. If she's constantly dependent on my feedback, oh, you're so smart, that was so great, you did so well, that actually is not so good for the entrepreneurial mindset. No one is going to tell you you're doing a good job. When things go shit, you are going to be blamed. When things go very well, it was everyone else's responsibility and, and it was luck. And how did you get there anyway? You must be from a very rich family. So there's no source of external validation. And so you have to cultivate that from inside. So I try and use phrases like, that must have made you feel really proud of yourself. Not I'm so proud of you. I'm going to say that too, but you must be really proud of yourself for doing that. So that internal locus of control and also a language for her emotional sphere she will feel frustrated. She'll feel angry. She'll feel like something isn't right or just. And giving her language to identify those feelings, to then manage those feelings, and then decide how she's going to behave in the world. It's sort of an emotional management, I think, is the first step to leadership and good social integration. <laughs> so those sort of things are part of our everyday and also, I think we've become very attached to very strict routines in how we deliver schooling and how we put them to bed when they have dinner. I think it's important to sometimes change those up a bit. I'm trying to encourage my daughter to embrace moments where things aren't as they usually are and that we might have to adapt. So we have these words, adapt. We might have to adapt to this. Yeah, let's adapt. <laughs> so, so those are just some, some snippets from our, our daily life. Amazing. You frame it so well. And I think that sense, particularly, you know, on this podcast, we often end up talking a lot about education and the sense of there is historically been a very linear education framework, which is reasonably predictable and incremental. And then actually real life, it doesn't matter, like you say, whether you work for someone else or you work for yourself or in the reality, if you run a startup, you never work for yourself. You just work for your whole team. But it's, um, you know, real life is not linear and straightforward and like developing that sense of control very early, I think is an incredibly valuable skill. And I think, yeah, that's a really, really great way of framing it. Awesome. So my question I wanted to ask you is, so, you know, you've built an amazing career in innovation, you know, that's fantastic to hear the journey that you've been on. Being an innovation specialist, a word that's quite emotive and very hard to define, and it seems to have different meanings to different people. So how do you define innovation? What's innovation to you? Oh, I mean, if you ask a textbook, they'll say, you know, you can innovate in terms of your business model, the process, the people you bring on, the technology you're bringing forward. So there are lots of kind of classical definitions of innovation. I've been predominantly focused on technology innovations and business model innovations in industries that are very traditional, that are dominated by long-standing incumbent organizations like financial services. 
that are highly regulated, where innovation is very difficult because once you fix a structure and capitalize it, sometimes things get very rigid in certain industries. And so I like to work in those industries because the barriers to change are high and complex. And so I've predominantly tried to work in spaces where I think it's really quite gritty. So in fintech, it's been very difficult for young challenger banks to build the build the credibility, build the capital strength, build the finance behind them and enter into markets which are dominated by oligopolies and regulation that doesn't apply to them. So those spaces are particularly inspiring. How do we create more consumer choice? How do we give these younger companies a chance to succeed? So I think I don't have an answer. What is innovation? I know it's a fluffy word and it's a word that I I don't love using myself. But for the most part, I think about it in terms of new technological innovations and new business models to address very old industries. Are you a budding entrepreneur or just starting out? Well, maybe this podcast is just for you. I'm Anna Flockett, editor of Startups Magazine, and our podcast, The Serial Entrepreneur, brings you stories, journeys, and lessons from some of the most inspirational startups and business founders out there. Talking to these innovative startups, we delve deep into some of the challenges they face, lessons they've learned along the way, with a sprinkling of inspirational advice. You can find us by searching The Serial Entrepreneur, as in your breakfast cereal, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. Awesome. You described that gritty challenge of bringing relatively entrenched incumbents up to speed. And I think my experience working in a startup and trying to build a business that's trying to help our clients and an industry modernize is that there's often a lot of tension and difficulty at the interface between people who are trying to do new things. Often incumbents uh, who say they want to do new things, but actually are a little bit more talk than action. So how do you manage that? That's a frustrating thing that you probably felt yourself and that the people you work with, the people that you're supporting feel. You know, how do you manage that? And how do you deal with that? Do you have any tips or, or thoughts on how you push through that? Yeah, I think culturally changes is always chaotic. We don't, we don't like it. It's disruptive. The unpredictable, the uncertain is, is something that I think causes unrest. And that translates into organizations which have operated the same way for a very long period of time that feel pressures from regulation, that feel pressures from shareholders to do things in a very similar way. And so innovation is seen as obviously risky. And so I think we have to start to try to quantify the risk and the opportunity, depending on what kind of organization you're working for. Sometimes quantifying the opportunity is the better strategy or quantifying the risk of not doing something is the better strategy for trying to to build the impetus to change. I tend to focus on quantifying the opportunity. What if we could do things this way? What would this mean for this particular product? What new markets could we access? What kind of new talent could we attract? What does this mean for our ability to partner with others or enter new geographies? And so I tend to focus on the future opportunities when I try and sell in new innovation-based projects. But then I have to quantify, and this will reduce costs here. This will decrease independencies on this external partner here. This will create these new revenue streams, but it will take time for those to come forward. This will allow us to capture this talent base, which isn't even in the market yet. You have to 
quantify these opportunities and also the risks of not doing things. And I think it's often something I see, you know, and I've experienced myself where you build a, something and then you can become very introspective and think about it from your perspective. Whereas actually, if you're building a business and you're trying to sell whatever your service or product to other people, you have to talk about how it's going to help them and how it's going to make their lives better. And I think sometimes it can be very easy to get frustrated at trying to push something in. Whereas actually, as you've talked about there, if you can frame it so that your clients want to pull it into their business, that can really change things. And it's never an easy, easy path. But I really like that thinking about, you know, what are the downsides of not doing it? You know, what are the opportunities of doing it from the business's perspective? Yeah, I think a common phrase people use is fall less in love with your solution and more in love with your customer's problem. That's what we need to be studying. What are the motivators to to change? What value can we add? What pains can we remove? I saw a really great old advert for the Apple iPod and it showed, you know, the difference between the way Apple marketed it, the iPod versus some of the other MP3 players, which was one was like the world's first digital audio player. And then Apple's marketing copy was a thousand songs in your pocket. But, you know, it summarizes that really nicely. It just stuck in my mind that, you know, what an incredibly effective, powerful piece of marketing copy. And the thing about that is it's very simple, it's a very simple statement. And it doesn't cover all the features of the product because you don't need to oversell yourself. You don't need to cover every single thing because you're obsessed with that. You're obsessed with <laughs> the, the dynamism and the, and the incredibly complexity of your your idea and your business solution. That that single statement would capture the widest set of imaginations. Yeah, no, bang on. So I suppose, again, swinging this around to the mum side of things now, your daughter being four years old, it probably, uh, I certainly know Evie's just coming to the age where, you know, she's got very strong opinions about anything being taken away or given to her. But resilience, how do you impart resilience in your kids? Or how do you think about imparting such resilience in your kids? Play is so important. And it's been critical to our world over the last year and a half. I think when we are entrepreneurs or business owners and parents, life is just so damn serious and it's so scheduled and it's so we've got to do this and then we're going to do this and then pack the lunch and then we're going to go over here and then I got to go to this business meeting and then our life is packed and it's packed with administration and it means that requires a real focus and it requires extreme planning and all those things are great and critical, but sometimes you just have to drop it and play music really loud and dance around the kitchen and play air guitar and just be like, ah, I need to express myself in a completely different way and feel joy for a minute. And actually, yeah, let's, let's go and do something we shouldn't do. Let's splash around. Let's make as much mess as we can. Let's paint with our feet today. You know, I think that's really important. And also with exercise or meditation, it takes us out of the grind and of the highly programmed highly serious life of administration and meetings and transport and from here to there. And sometimes you have to just let that go because when we do take some exercise, when we do dance around the kitchen, when we do meditate, when we do take a bath in the middle of the day, not when it's planned, it changes our biochemistry. It changes our outlook. It's a rebooting. And so I think we need to allow for that a little bit more and also for, for ourselves. I've found I've had to say to myself, actually, I'm not going to work this lunch hour. I'm going to sit and I'm going to do meditation or I'm going to go and sit in my garden or I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do walking meetings. These sort of things are um, very helpful to resilience. So not only that 
sense of confidence, but these are tools that we need, right? They're tools when we get a piece of bad news or when things don't go our way or when we're feeling low, we, we need these little tools in our toolkit. Fantastic answer. And I think it's something actually that people often, like you said, if you're a startup mom or a startup dad, you just got to be so for the most part, so incredibly efficient with your time. Because the simple fact of the matter is there just isn't enough time to do all the things <laughs> that you love, right? It's just, there isn't. It's an unfortunate reality of life. And I tell anyone who's actually wants to set up a business, it doesn't matter whether you've got kids or not, you're just not going to have the time to do everything that you love. But I think people often, because of that, you can get programmed that even recovery is something that has to be really strictly scheduled and kind of formulaic. But actually, you know, your framing of play an unstructured approach to building a bit of resilience is really great. I don't know about you, I find it very hard to do. But actually, when I do do it, like you say, I'm just not going to just sit and surf the internet or read an article over lunch. I'm going to go for a walk and listen to some music, not podcast on two speed to pick up an extra hour of knowledge. I'm just going to listen to some music. The benefits are huge, but it could be hard to see the logical cause and effect between both of those things. But I think it's a really great answer that we haven't heard very much. So I think as well, we're obsessed with practicing and enforcing and explaining discipline and diligent termination, get through the task, get all the way through the task, finish it 100%. And I'm not sure that's the right thing. Sometimes I need to just put it down and walk away. <laughs> yeah, completely. Get a fresh perspective. And when sometimes when you're dealing with a toddler, um, and she's struggling with something and the emotions are building up, the best thing is to stop, take a breath, put it down, walk away, approach it from a different angle. I don't know if dragging ourselves through through the tasks always serves us very well, even when we get it done. You're absolutely right. My daughter, she's 18 months and she's developed an incredibly powerful skill where if something doesn't work quite right, she just goes and takes it and puts it in the bin, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> and I should just do that more often. And I think, wow, you've really got this nail. Doesn't work. Just throw it away. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there we are. The, Evie's a startup a tip 101. It doesn't work. Just throw it in the bin. <laughs> so yeah, yeah like, like you say, I'll teach her to maybe just come back to it rather than just throw it away. <laughs> That's good. Freya does the same. She's like, mom, we can fix this. And if we can't fix it, then we can buy a new one. <laughs> yeah. We can buy a new one. I said, I will, well, what does buying a new one mean? That means we have to spend our money on something. I've got one other point I just want to make. I'm going back to a, a, a question that you asked. And given this is startup dads versus startup moms, and I'm raising a daughter, I think I'm really careful about introducing princesses and unicorns and fairies into our house. And the reason being is because none of those are real jobs. This is all the land of fantasy. And we constantly parade the land of fantasy around female children. And this is so detrimental for boys. I think we parade some fantasy too with the superheroes. But I think it's very important early on to describe what a job is, what a real job is. And I have to work really hard to buy groceries and to buy things and to pay for our house. And it takes a lot of time and effort. And so we have to be careful with our money. And if you want to buy things in your life, you have to get a real job. So let's talk about those real jobs. They're astronauts, they're engineers, they're hairdressers, they're gardeners. They're, those are real jobs. And I think um, the more we can role play real jobs, for girls, the better. 
You're absolutely right. It's a really interesting one you brought up because it's always been incredibly surprising to me. Like, like you say, for boys, you know, the superhero side of things, but there's just also lots of builders and firemen and policemen. It's remarkable to me how little there is with girls toys in that way. And it is very interesting because like you say, it's a very good framing of it. They're not real jobs. They're not something you can grow up and do right? <laughs> in reality. And you shouldn't necessarily aspire to. Yeah. What a distraction from the real world. With Freya, we buy, she just got a big tractor for her birthday and we try and bring in these other sources of inspiration, which are, I think, more grounded in, in what a real life will look like. Amazing. I suppose before we get to the final question, I wanted to touch a little bit about the smart city space, a space that you're particularly active in. I'm always really interested in talking about with entrepreneurs, a sense of kind of mission and, you know, the world that they want to build, especially once they become parents. Does, you know, having had kids motivated or influence your thinking about the sorts of work that you want to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's reinforced my desire to increase choice for young people around their careers and their career paths and increase the ability to change projects and change industries. I think that's been reinforced by having a child. And I also, I work a lot running female founder programs and on um, diversity and inclusion in my programs. And so, I mean, there's just such huge disparity between, um, between men and women and people from different socioeconomic backgrounds or different ethnic backgrounds. They just, we just don't have the same opportunities. We aren't given, we aren't backed in the same way. And I feel um, there's a huge amount of work to do. I'm very passionate about that. It's an amazing thing, I think, how when you have a child, it can put into focus what you do. For me, in the same way, it has given me a sense of focus about what I'm doing. And, you know, I build a mathematical modeling uh, <laughs> a startup, so it's not necessarily something that it has an immediate, obvious impact to the world that's going to make my, my daughter's life better. But it certainly does focus my mind, like you say, around the other bits in all different parts of how it operates, make things better. And with being an entrepreneur and being a parent, you know, you're working, you're trying to squeeze out productivity from every single minute in the day. And being an entrepreneur, you can be more flexible to be available for your child, but you're also modeling what I think is a quite uh, an honorable existence to work really hard to build something from scratch and create jobs and solutions. Yeah, exactly. So Claire, I'd like to ask you the question now that I asked to all our guests. Um, what's mm -hmm. the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship? An amazing kind of wide-ranging journey across continents uh, and industries. So, you know, what's the lesson you'd like to pass on to your child? Just, just that she can do really hard things. Fortune favors the bold, I suppose, is something I hope she holds tight and is confident enough to step forward with her ideas and her, her ambition. Amazing. Before we wrap up, we'd like to close up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, a non-sponsored section where we shine a light on some of the organizations or founders or businesses that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. So we'd love to give you the chance to do that now. Okay, fabulous. So I've just finished running an accelerator program called Build Across the Leeds City Region. And we worked with uh, 15 amazing founders from a wonderful, diverse array of backgrounds. And a few of them are particularly interesting. Um, iLeaf, Caterpillar Health, and We Drifters are companies that uh, have come through the Build program and are doing wonderful things in the Leeds City region. 
and then I suppose um, a, a good friend of mine, she's she's running a company called Safe in the City, which is is tracking the women's experience of safety in um, the city environment, and uh, she's she's trying to to put an end to uh, the negative experiences that women face out on the street. So I suppose I, I'm dropping four names, and I, I apologize for that. But no, that's all right. I could, the list could go on. <laughs> That's brilliant. They sound all uh, absolutely amazing initiatives and we'll be sure to give them a good bit of promotion on our social media because they sound incredibly deserving of all of that. Well, Claire, that was a fantastic journey through you know your career and the life of a startup mum in many different ways. Um, how can we find out a little bit more about you, what you do? Is there anything you want to tell us a little bit about that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I run an, a consultancy called Cochrane & Co. Uh, we focus on building innovation centers and running big entrepreneurship programs. Uh, we're working across a number of different countries at the moment and setting up large-scale life sciences and healthcare innovation center projects. And so please look us up at cockertonand.co and uh, and get in touch on, on LinkedIn or social. Too. We're growing our team at the moment and would love to work with people who are entrepreneurial and into innovation. Awesome. Well, again, Claire, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was a fantastic episode. Thanks, thanks for being a startup mum. Thanks so much. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 